The Apostle Paul had established churches around the, the area we know as Turkey, Crete, Greece, quite a few churches around there, and he left and turned them over to other leaders. And the responsibility of those leaders was to pay attention to what was going on in the churches to make sure that the, the disciples were being fed well on the word of God, they're being trained up, that they're serving, that they're loving, to pay attention to what was going on. In the early years, problems began to surface. I mean, we're talking about 30 years, less than 30 years after the resurrection of Christ, problems already began to surface in the, in the churches of the first century. First, it came from outsiders coming in, they were coming in from the outside causing divisions. But then later on, people from within the church were causing divisions within the church itself. And so you got problems from the outsiders and problems from people from the insiders. And false teachings were bubbling up like acid in a nuclear reactor. People were not paying attention. See, if you don't pay attention, things can slide. The message of the gospel can get perverted and divisions in the fellowship can happen. Because no one's paying attention. No one's watching. So here in these short verses at the end of the book of Romans, which is a fabulous book, I just recommend that you go home and read the whole thing. This is just the conclusion of it. His final words here. He's going to tell us, guard the fellowship of the church from those who would cause divisions because the enemy does not have much time and he knows it. And the quicker or the sooner we get toward the end, it's going to get even more oppressive in the churches. So how do we guard our church from those who would cause divisions? That's what he wants. It's just a brief statement here. And then he praises them for their actions because the church itself at, at Rome didn't have a problem at this point with people in the church causing divisions. It's a warning, don't let them in. See, the, the church at Rome had such a sweet fellowship. They just got along well together. They gave space to one another and they gave grace to one another because they realized that no one had arrived yet no one was perfect in their faith. And so we gave each other a lot of grace and a lot of love. That's what the church in Rome. So things were going well in the church in Rome. The fellowship was sweet. He just didn't want it to, anyone to come in and cause division. So he's just warning them. So how do we get to here in chapter 16 of the book of Romans? Let me just give you a quick overview. You can kind of think, you can follow it in your mind. Again, simplistic overview, much more details could be given. But basically, he starts off the book of Romans with the state of humanity, and that is unrighteous, is the state of humanity. And then he goes on to says, but righteousness is needed for humanity, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Righteousness is needed for humanity. And then he goes on and says, righteousness has been provided for us in Christ Jesus and the sacrifice on the cross. And then he moves to an internalized righteousness where we're, we're living out of this righteousness that's within and it changes attitudes and behaviors. And then he talks about the future of Israel and they will be righteous at the end. And then he goes down to applied righteousness. How do we live out our faith day to day from chapter 12 to the end of the book, which we're at right now. So he's been talking about living out our faith day by day from 12 to 16. And now he's just giving us his final words. So in contrast to the first part of chapter 16, to this generous, hospitable people that were really in sweet fellowship with one another, he now introduces us to a smooth-talking, flattering group of people that are trying to cause division in churches around the first century world. Their fellowship was so good and so profitable in Rome, and he didn't want anyone to disturb that. It kind of likes, it reminds me of this church here. We're not a perfect church. We're a perfectly imperfect church, but the fellowship is sweet here. 
It's like a family. Not only do you feel it, people coming in from the outside say, they remark to me, boy, this is a really loving group of people. I can't get you to be quiet when we want to get started because you just want to be around each other. It reminds me of us. We don't currently have anyone trying to cause divisions. We have a sweet fellowship. But how can we keep that? How can we maintain that sweet fellowship and not let someone come in and cause divisions? This was a problem in the first century world. I mean, it's amazing to me just less than 30 years after the resurrection of Christ, we already have false teachers destroying churches in the first century. It seems like, oh, they would wait at least a couple of centuries. They started right away. In fact, even Paul warns the Ephesian church. He's traveling to Rome and he meets with the Ephesian elders and he warns them what's going to come up in their own church. Acts chapter 20. He wrote to the elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you from the outside, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, from the inside, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away, to cause a division, the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. If this was a problem in the first century, I can guarantee you it's a problem in the 21st century. And the closer we get to the coming of Jesus Christ, the more the enemy is going to fight because he knows his time is short. He's going to try to introduce when the, no, let me restate that. He has already introduced in the evangelical church in America, false teaching and divisions already. And it's coming, it's coming. This is the reason, a simplistic, but maybe an understandable reason. Why does Satan care so much about the church? Well, number one, Jesus bought it with his own blood. He hates God. And that's an easy one, okay? Secondly, where do we see this example of kingdom ethics, of living out what Jesus wants his people to do? Where do we see kingdom ethics lived out? Here in the church. If he can destroy the church, he can destroy the church's witness in the world because who wants to go to a church where the pastor and the deacon get in a fist fight over a business meeting? I got enough of that problem at work. Why do I need to go to a church that something like that's going to happen in? See, if the enemy can destroy the witness of the church, no one's going to want to come. Makes perfect sense to bring division and cause a destruction in the harmony and fellowship of the church. Makes perfect sense. So he says, be careful. It happened in the first century. He's warning us all the way till Jesus comes back. It's going to keep happening. He wants to destroy the witness, what kingdom living is supposed to be in this world. And isn't it sweet? Where do you go where you know if people are doing what we're supposed to be doing that you are forgiven if you offend or that you can ask forgiveness if you do the offenses yourself? Where you know when you come in here, people actually love you and care for you. They really are concerned about you. Where else can you go to find something like that? Only in a body of believers that God has united together through the work of his son do we have this sense of family and fellowship and it is good. You feel it. I know you do. I feel it. So what's he saying to us? Look at verse number 17. Just a couple, he's going to give a warning and then he's going to praise the, the Roman church. So let's look at the warning first. I appeal to you. In other words, I, I need your attention. I'm appealing this to you. Think about this now. Brothers, and that's brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles, tripping, tripping hazards, contrary to the doctrine that you had been taught, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. 
and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. People can be deceived. Now, the mature may not be deceived, but the naive, the immature ones, may be deceived easily. They sound so good. They're smooth talking, style over substance. Boy, these guys must be pious. We should listen to them. But then you begin an, uh, uh, evaluating their message, and you're saying, wait a second. That doesn't line up with the Word of God. That, that's contrary to the Word of God. But the naive can be led astray. So Paul says, watch out. Watch out. It means, it means to, to take a look at carefully, to consider, to examine it. Pay careful attention to it. Look at it critically. It's an active verb, not a passive verb. So he wants us to, to make sure that we look out and we, and we look out for those people who, because of their own self-desires, would try to create parties within a church and divide people up. Oh, that doesn't happen in churches. Yeah, it does. Because the enemy wants to destroy the kingdom witness in this world, and the church is the kingdom witness in this world. That word, watch out, we actually get our word scope from that word. Microscope, telescope. It's to look at something critically, whether something close up or something at a distance. But it's to look at critically. We get our word scope from this word, watch out, right here. So there were some that were trying to create a, a, a division. Let me use the word chaos. Chaos is the opposite of order. Our God is a God of order. The enemy comes to breed chaos. Notice when your family, when it gets chaotic, that's the enemy that's come to breed chaos in your family. He comes to breed chaos in a church as well. It's the opposite of order. The verb form means to stand apart. In other words, they come along and say, hey, I got a new word of the Lord. Come listen to what I have to say. Yeah, and if you send me $25, all your prayers will be answered. Send me the money. All your prayers will be answered. And what they do is they stand apart. And if somebody says, well, wait a second, that message doesn't go along with what the word of God, they'll stand apart and say, yeah, but we know because God has revealed to us, why don't you guys come over and stand with us apart? See how they cause divisions? It means to stand apart is the idea. Rene Lopez said, divisions are called by arguing over non-essential issues. Ford, Chevy, non-essential, okay? Oh yeah, that's an easy one, okay. Okay, maybe I should throw in Toyota or some other ones, okay? But you get non-essential stuff, okay? Non-essential stuff. So, you know, it, should a man's hair touch his top of his ears or can be down his back? I mean, Paul talks about not looking like a woman. We understand that. But what is the right length of hair? I mean, we can argue about that till, till we're blue in the face. The non-essential issues. By teaching false doctrine or by placing traps before believers to induce them to sin or to do things contrary to their conscience. And this idea of, of, of a stumbling block is the idea of if you have a, a path, a, a hardened path with a rock protruding out of the center of the path, someone comes and places that rock there so that you trip over it. People will come along to try to trip you up in your conscience, to try to get you to go against your conscience. That's the idea. So he doesn't say who they are, the people in Rome know them, but we don't know who they are. He didn't tell us who they were. But the text is written, as I mentioned to you, with the understanding that it had not affected that church yet. It's a warning that it may come. So they're in sweet fellowship right now. They're not having divisions in the church, but it could come. It helps us to understand. The danger was there, but the false teachers had not gained the upper hand yet in the church. I still find it amazing how early the false teachers invaded the churches I mean, again, it makes perfect sense. Destroy the witness of the church. Destroy what it looks like to live the kingdom life. Of course, then there's no witness of Christ in this world. But it was so early on. And if they're there in the first century church, they are certainly here today. As a matter of fact, I can say with assurance, God hates 
people who cause division. Oh, that's a strong word. Okay, what did Solomon say in Proverbs? Let me read what he said. He said, there are six things that the Lord hates. I didn't use the word he did. He hates these things. Seven that are an abomination to him. Skip down to verse 19. A false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. God hates that. It's why it's listed. It's why it's listed in the division. Division is listed in the, uh, the fruit of the flesh in Galatians chapter five because God hates divisions. He hates dissension. He hates chaos. He is a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. So if a person who is trying to cause a division is of the flesh, they're not of the spirit. They're acting out of the flesh, not the spirit. Even our Savior warned us in the end times what's going to happen. He warned us. Matthew chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 24. He said to us, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves who mean to consume you. 24. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So I think you're kind of getting the picture the warnings are out there in multiple different places because it's going to happen in churches and it is happening today in churches. Obstacles are being set. It's where we get our word scandal. Scandal, an obstacle, scandal, refers to the attempt to trip up Christians in their convictions, to trip them up, to get you to stumble and fall, to go against your conscience. Whatever is not of faith is sin, to go against your conscience, Romans 14 so these false, these false teachers that are trying to gain the upper hand in the church, claiming to strengthen and unify Christ's church, they undermine its very foundation because the church is built on the word of God and they're bringing a false message. So they're undermining the, the under, uh, undermining the very foundation of the church and that is the word of God. They're not speaking truth. They're speaking lie. But their arguments are so persuasive. They sound so good, so pious, Oh, that must be true. So righteous and the naive, the innocent, they buy right into it because they sound so good. But if you take their words, use good interpretive methods and open up the word of God, you'll find that their words do not match the word of God. But they sound good. They sound persuasive. And no matter how great the claims of the false teachers to love God and to love his people, those who contradict or compromise his words are literally his enemies not as friends. Philippians chapter three says this, brothers join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Claiming to be serving God and serving people, really they're enemies of God because they're lying and they're trying to trap people and cause divisions which Satan wants to happen. They had already received the message from Paul and the other missionaries. They knew what to stand on. It's like Jude tells us in Jude chapter one. He says, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So the, the, the faith had been delivered already and now we're supposed to contend when we're supposed to hold on tight to it. Standard of teaching had already been, they, it wasn't that they lacked it. These false teachers did not want to hear it. 
They wanted division. Robert Muntz wrote, to be true, their doctrine had to agree with the teaching that already had been delivered to the church. Truth does not contradict itself. Teaching that deviated from the apostolic teaching was by definition spurious. Even today, the church must accept or reject that which claims to be true on the basis of its consistency with revealed truth. God's word stands as the only absolute. So how do we watch and maintain? We know our Bibles well enough to recognize that someone's trying to tell us something, no matter how persuasive or smooth it sounds, does it align with the word? We always come back to, not Pastor Mark, not the elders, but the word. Always come back to the word is the idea. So if the teaching leads us back to the truth, we would consider it a prophetic teaching. But if it calls us away from the truth, we would say, no, no, no. We must consider it divisive and heretical. So the Roman Christians are urged to avoid false teachers who come with a perverted message. Notice the word is avoid, not engage. Avoid them. Avoid them. He didn't say engage them. He said avoid them. He told Titus, Paul told Titus, this is in chapter 3 of Titus. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, so you go to him once, the Bible tells us, and then we go to him a second time with another person as a witness, twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. He doesn't say engage him, he says avoid them. Mark those who cause division and avoid them. It doesn't mean you don't love them or don't pray for them. Obviously, we love all the creatures of God. We understand that. But avoid them. We're to mark these. They're not serving the Lord, these false teachers. Division or dissension is a state of chaos, not a state of order. How often this phrase is used, this idea of, of, of or that, that, the, that these false teachers are slaves to their bellies. They're slaves to their bellies. Well, they're gluttons. Well, maybe. Or dietary restrictions, maybe. More than likely, again, we talked about last week, I think it was. In the Greek world, instead of the heart where the emotions rise, arise, in the Greek word, the belly is where your emotions are. The head is the intellect. The belly is the emotions. So these people are driven by their passions and their emotions, not by truth necessarily. Ephesians chapter three, we'll read again verse 18 and we'll go to verse 19. For many of whom I have told you now and tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. So all they're thinking about is self-actualization and filling their self-gratification. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So these false teachers, they don't care. They don't care about the church. They're driven by self-interest and self-gratification. That's all that's driving them. You can see it. That's why we can be aware of their wolves in sheep's clothing because we hear them talk. You ever been around someone that all they do is promote themselves? You ever been around people like that? And it seems like if you're in a conversation and they're promoting themselves and you just talk about something else, they get mad because they want to keep promoting themselves. People like that is what we're talking about here. Driven by self-interest and self-gratification. They look and sound so smooth. They have style over substance. Their substance is corrupt, but their style looks smooth, flattering. Oh, I, yeah, you should believe that person. Look how, well, how elegant they can talk. And they have all the right words. Pious and flattering speech. They attempt to seduce the minds of those who are unsuspecting. We must be aware, Christians, of all of those who will bring deceptive words that, that would lead us into error. Again, it comes back to we have to know the truth to know what error is. So the innocent, the text here that says innocent, 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 non-evil, non-evil. It can be led, non-evil. They'll be led, innocent, naive, unsuspecting. 
So Colossians 2 are warnings to the naive, to us. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So he's teaching them the truth so that no one would come along and say, a plausible argument. Oh, that sounds, no, no, we, we know the truth. Even though the argument may seem plausible, it's not true. And you go down to verse number eight. See to that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So we are to turn away from evil. We are to protect other believers, especially the naive. In other words, the ones that, the word is actually non-evil. It's a, a word in Greek for evil and then they have a preposition, or excuse me, a, a suffix at the beginning, a, which negates it. So it means non-evil, innocent, naive people. Those are the ones that are susceptible to the false teachers that would cause divisions. We have to be careful for those who would be easily deceived or confused or misled. If we care about the sweet fellowship, we'll care about them as well. For to truly love someone is to strive for what is good for them and oppose whatever harms them. And we don't want them to be harmed. So after this dramatic warning, there's a lavish praise on the, on, on the church at Rome. Again, they don't have these problems yet. They're to be careful about them. So let's read now here in verse number 19 uh, and following. For your obedience is known to all, so that I, I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So now he's talking about the contrast between obedience and commitment and the descent of the false teachers that does not serve the Lord or his purposes. Obedience to Christ and the truth of the gospel protects believers against the false teachers. So we walk with him because we know our shepherd. We hear his voice. We recognize his voice. He goes out before him and we follow him. We're obedient to him and the truth of the gospel message that'll protect us against the false teachers because we'll know if they come along with some plausible argument, we'll say, no, sorry, that doesn't fit the word of God. I, I can't buy that. I can't buy that. So Paul wants the Roman Christians to be guiltless and unsophisticated when it comes to evil. He doesn't want them to be, he wants them to be innocent when it comes to evil. He doesn't want to have anything to do with evil. In fact, even Jesus talked about the same thing to his disciples he said, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. He wants us to be guiltless and unsophisticated when it comes to evil. He doesn't want us to have a good grasp on evil. In other words, doing evil. We can't abhor it though if we don't know what it is. We have to know what evil is. And evil is anything contrary to the nature and character of God. You just fill in the blank. Anything contrary to the nature and character of God is evil. So we have to know that. In fact, Romans 12, he said this to us. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. So anything contrary to the nature and character of God is evil. And of course, good is that which is to the nature and character of God. G.K. Chesterton said this. Men do not differ much about what things they will call evils. They differ enormously about what evils they will call excusable. The way to recognize evil is to be thoroughly familiar with the good. And that's found right here. That we're thoroughly familiar with the good to avoid that which is evil. So he draws a, he draws a, 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 a connection here to Genesis 3.15 about crushing Satan's head. Genesis 3.15, the promise made that Satan's head would be crushed. Jesus' heel would be wounded, bruised. So he, he, he brings this in as an allusion here in, in, uh, in chapter, here right here, from chapter 3 of 15 of Genesis. 
So he brings and he identifies and interprets the serpent as Satan. He was the personification of all evil, disorder, dissension, and scandal in the world. Do you know that they took a poll of Americans and most Americans do not believe Satan is real. They do not believe he's a real being created by God. They'll say, ah, it's just some uh, metaphor of evil. He's not a real being. He's not a real person. He's just some metaphor. They don't believe that evil exists in this person called Satan. Gotham Matter, who was old during the time of the Revolutionary War pastor, said this, that there is a devil is a thing doubted by none, but such as are under the influence of the devil. American people don't want to believe that the devil exists. The false teachers, they don't bring order. They bring disorder. They bring discord, chaos. But it is God who brings peace. Do you see the contrast? The false teachers bring disorder and chaos, which causes division. God brings peace, which causes unification. Fellowship, that's sweet. 1 Thessalonians 5, man, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says, these guys are not of God. These false teachers coming to cause divisions who are self-gratifying, who have only self-interest in mind, smooth-talking, persuasive arguments, but lies are sent by Satan himself. The false teachers are under the influence of Satan. And again, it makes perfect sense. He wants to destroy the witness of the church. If he can get us fighting, who's going to want to come to a church that doesn't like each other? 2 Corinthians 11. Paul talks about, for such men, these false apostles, are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So he marks them out. These are not of God. These are of Satan. Satan has sent them into, the, into churches. And here's where it gets really good. I love this. Verse number 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. This evil will not continue on forever. I'm getting God bumps again because there will come a day that he will restore all things as they should be. Thank you. Come Lord Jesus. And the purpose of the son of God to come into the world, he was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. That's why we are told he's manifested to destroy the works of the devil. This evil that's out there blinding people's minds so they cannot see the light of the glorious gospel and be saved. He blinds them. They can't see the truth. First John 3 says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil and to begin a sanctification process in us that we in the end will look like him and give witness to the world that this thing called salvation is true and genuine, and it changes people's lives, and it brings us into a, a, such a sweet fellowship. So he closes with his final greeting. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It just reminds us that we need God's grace to comfort us and give us patience when attacked by Satan's emissaries, because he's still in power in this world right now, and it seems that God is releasing his hand a little bit, and he's coming even stronger, it seems like, in the world right now. We can be assured that we can look forward to a day when our spiritual warfare will be over. We fight hard now and we're tired at times because we're fighting against the evil in this world. We're standing up for truth and sometimes it's hard and it's difficult and we have to make tough decisions, but there will come a day when our warfare will be over. 
oh, how I long for the day that we will be in the presence of our Lord forever and ever and not have to worry about this warfare that we find ourselves in today, contending for the truth of the gospel message. So God has promised us ultimate victory. And shortly, despite Satan's crafty attacks, the enemy will, de- will be defeated as promised. As promised. As I mentioned at the beginning, I think our church is like the Roman church. There's not anyone causing divisions in our church right now. We're not there. We have a sweet fellowship right now. So we're not saying that we're not preaching this because there's problems. No problems. The thing is, we don't want to have problems. We want to maintain the sweet fellowship. We want it to keep good like it is right now. We don't want any kind of divisions in the church. So it's a warning just to us to remember how good we've got it here. Some of you have been to other churches and you know it's not this good in other churches. You know that. You've been there. Not not patting me or the elders on the back. It's you. We've done this together. We've created this environment. Medical Lake Community Church is not a perfect church. We're not a perfect church. We're a perfectly imperfect church. None of us have arrived yet. So since we haven't arrived, we give each other a lot of grace and a lot of love. None of us have made it yet. But our fellowship, our family cohesion is beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. And we must pay attention to anyone or anything that would cause divisions in our church. They're not here now. But if we take our eyes off maintaining the unity of the church, we may fall victim to false teachers who will bring in divisions and disrupt this beautiful fellowship that God has created among us. And we can't let that happen. It's too sweet. And we want the world to know that there is a place you can go that kingdom ethics are being lived out among people in this world. It's not like the rest of the world at Medical Aid Community Church. And we're not the only one. There's faithful churches all over the land. But we want it to be said of us that we're faithful and that we understand this fellowship that's been given to us, united together by the work of Christ. We stand one in him and we don't want anything to come that would divide us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this warning. Again, you have been so gracious here at Medical Aid Community Church. We're not perfect. You're at work in our hearts and we see and we feel this, this family cohesion. We feel this fellowship, this communion that we have one with another. And we actually feel like we belong to each other here. And so I thank you that you have created this. It's you that have made this. And we want to make sure that we maintain this unity. We didn't create it. We just want to maintain it. We want to make sure that nothing comes in that would divide our sweet fellowship that we have and cause divisions, which would cause offenses, which would cause anger, unforgiveness, and all of those things we want to avoid because they're not not according to your character or nature. So Father, we thank you. Thank you for what you have done. And again, give us eyes to pay attention, even in our own hearts, from causing division. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.